This is episode 168 of the Relate Podcast on media's effect on children with Julia Storm. We are spending more and more time in the online world, looking through our screens and increasingly disconnected with those around us. But studies have proven that it's real-life meaningful relationships that bring us the most joy and happiness. It's all about human connection and conversing with people from a variety of backgrounds. Worlds change when eyes meet. So let's sit down and relate. I am your host, Patrick McAndrew, and welcome to another episode of the Relate Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me on this show where we are consistently learning how to build deeper and more meaningful relationships with our friends, with our families, in the age of technology. Today we have an amazing guest joining us. Her name is Julia Storm, and Julia is a Los Angeles-based digital media wellness specialist. She is an educator, writer, public speaker, and founder of Reconnect, a whole child and whole family approach to preparing kids for life in the digital age. And prior to launching Reconnect, Julia served as director of production for the award-winning children's media production company, The Mother Company. And in this episode, we really dive deep on who Julia is, what inspired her to create Reconnect, how her work in children's media has influenced her work in the digital wellness space. She also shares some of the tips that resonate most with parents and families that she works with. This is a great episode. You will definitely want to share it with a friend who you think it might resonate with. Head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, let us know what you think of this episode. So without further ado, let me please introduce today's guest of Relate, Julia Storm. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Relate Podcast. Today, we have Julia Storm joining us on the show. Julia, thank you so much for being here today. Hey, Patrick. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm very excited to have you. We had the opportunity to connect a few years ago in this digital wellness industry. I I felt like at that time, it was just starting to grow a little bit. Obviously, the research had been around for a long time. But I feel like at that point, I I guess it was maybe 2017, 2018, the the conversation was starting to to grow a lot more then. And I feel like over the past few years, it has just expedited a lot. More and more people are talking about this. And so I'm excited to in in uh, in the fashion of your your company, I'm excited to reconnect (laughs) and and, you know, hear about all the great work that you've been up to. Yeah, yeah, I know. It was, it, I can't believe how fast time has gone. I think you're right. It was about three years ago. And I agree, there has been sort of exponential growth around the topic of digital well being, probably in, due in part to Tristan Harris and his whole movement um, of humane technology and how they sort of started to get a lot more media attention right but yeah it's definitely and then of course with the pandemic it's really become uh, the issues come to the fore oh yeah yeah absolutely i think this past 
year has really been this, in some ways, opportunity for us to really dissect into our relationships with technology and how we're using it and how often we're using it as well. For our listeners who are tuning in who may not be familiar with Julia Storm, I'm wondering if you could just share a little bit about yourself and why were you inspired to create Reconnect? Yeah, so my background is actually sort of on the other side, on the media creation side. So I came out to Los Angeles from New York a little over 20 years ago to get my master's in directing, actually, at UCLA. For many years after that, I worked in film and television, in producing, editing, um, that kind of stuff. And I ended up at a really interesting position as head of production for a company that created children's media, but not just any children's media. It was children's media very much fashioned after, say, Mr. Rogers. So very sort of honed honed in on the social emotional aspect of things and wanting to create media that was more than just, you know, junk to be consumed um, and was thoughtful and was educational, but was also beautiful and fun. And so the whole ethos of the company was a, was sort of, inherently about how to create media that was humane and that was thoughtful for children. And in the course of working there, I came to know Common Sense Media because we worked with them a little bit. And also in the course of working there, I had my two children. And it was this really interesting confluence of things because the iPhone came out at that time. Then, you know, apps started, social media apps started to pop up all while my children were young and I was working at this company that really cared about children's well-being around media. And so I was sort of very attuned to the effect that media was having on kids in particular, but on everyone around me. And as an aside, I should say that um, I've always been very interested in psychology and actually did quite a bit of volunteering as a counselor. And so I always was like, how am I going to like also, you know, follow that passion? And I didn't really ever know how to integrate it. And then at some point, I felt like my tenure had ended at that company. I wasn't really sure what to do. So I took time off. I was lucky that I, I was able to take about six, took about six to eight months off to really just brainstorm. Like, how am I going to put all of my interests and my talents and all of this stuff together? Um, what am I going to do next? And in the course of those months, I started to follow my own interests and I was very interested in the effect that all of these new technologies were having on people. And I was in particular watching the very crazy effect that it was having on my son and on his moods and this sort of fiending for my phone. And mind you, he was like four years old and he didn't actually, maybe he was five, he didn't get much media. So I didn't, he didn't watch much TV. He didn't get like time in front of a tablet or any of that. 
Um, but any time that, you know, the phone or that I gave him a little bit of something, I just noticed this whole different side of him. And so for my own sort of interest, out of my own interest, I started to research. And as I researched, I just became really fascinated. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, this is really going to become, if it's not already, a huge parenting issue because it's in its infancy, but it is coming so fast and furious. And, you know, I know I'm not alone in this. And I started kind of doing little, you know, mini workshops with friends and saying like, what do you think of this? And, and are you interested in learning more about this? And if I told you these facts, would that surprise you? And just my, the response, people were like, yes, you know, I need this information. I need guidance. I'm like losing my grip on my kids and video games or my kids and tablets. And so I just sort of went for it. You know, I just thought I have a lot of knowledge. I, I have the drive. I think that I can provide a service. And so I continued researching. I connected with experts. I started to write and I started slowly offering workshops to parents and then sort of word got out. You know, it happened organically. Schools started to reach out to me. Then it became, can you also talk to the kids at our school? And so then I started to develop workshops for them. And just bit by bit, the demand grew as, you know, media started to really explode in the lives of, of our kids. So that's, that's sort of the origin story. Yeah, it's really amazing. I always find in talking with people in the digital wellness world, it's always interesting to hear the backstories into how they got into this world. And I love that you worked in children's media at a time where this stuff with regards to technology was really starting to pick up a lot. And it's obvious, too, in the work that you've done that you really are filling a need in our society today. And I think it's only going to be even more of a need as technology continues to advance. I'm wondering, you really do have this unique perspective having worked in children's media before entering into the digital wellness space. So I'm wondering if you could speak to that a little bit. How has your media experience impacted your work in digital wellness? Well, I think that, you know, whenever you work behind the scenes in anything, you have, you just have a more sort of three-dimensional perspective. And in my studies and in my work, you know, a lot of what I learned, even though I was studying more television and film production, was like, how do you grip an audience? How do you tell a story? You know, what are the ways that, what are the little tricks, you know, that are used? And it's not in storytelling, all storytelling has tricks, writing, you know, any kind of storytelling. And there are the ways that, you know, that storytellers capture one's imagination. And so I already sort of knew all of that and everything I watched, all the media I saw was through that lens of being able to pick it apart and know what was what and what was having what effect on on my children for example and you know it was just very easy to to be critical of the media and and see the places where it was problematic and initially that was in kids television although 
I will say that kids television has even come a really long way. I mean, there's some really lovely children's programming and there wasn't as much of it um, when we were growing up and, you know, even maybe 10 to 15 years ago. Because I do think that the other conversation that really started to kind of explode in the past, let's say, 10 to 15 years was the conversation around social and emotional learning. And so that conversation leaked into the production of children's media. And, you know, what are we doing with this media? Yes, of course, like you want to hold the attention. And there's always going to be, you know, whether it's social media, advertising, whatever it is, there's going to be media out there whose sole purpose is to sell, right? To sell a product, to sell an idea. But there is also a contingent of people who love to make media, love to make television, and want it to be more than that, and want it to be something that can be really experiential for a child, that can be thought-provoking. And so I think that, you know, my work was just informed by this sort of knowledge that I had of the the machinations, I guess, behind children's media and knowing sort of how manipulative it can be and how ultimately like bottom line money driven a lot of kids media is. And that turns out that, you know, that translates right over to gaming and that translates right over to a lot of the stuff you see in social media is that, you know, the bottom line is companies or corporations making money off of attention. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so happy that there are people out there like yourself who are starting to raise awareness to these variety of different tactics and, and tricks that take place. I'm wondering if you could speak to, and, and this might be something that is either difficult to parse out or maybe in some degree it doesn't exist, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on how do you parse out between what's a good media that children can consume apart from what's, you know, maybe quote unquote bad media in that, yes, maybe this media is still tailored to children, but it tends to be a lot more addictive than maybe some media that is not as much that. Like, how do you, how mm-hmm. do you parse those out? Yeah. Well, for one thing, I'll say that you know, you have to consider a child's age because, you know, their development and what they can kind of assess in terms of like the messaging really changes as they get older. So there's that. But there are a few things that you can look at. One is the pace. So the pacing of the shows is is really critical. Faster pace, the faster clip, the more it's sort of taxing a child's brain. It's you know, asking for them to split their attention constantly and and go from one thing to another really quickly. And you just don't want that for a child because, you know, the brain sort of gets used to doing things in a certain way. And if kids, you know, can only pay attention to something for, you know, three seconds at a time, well, that's not going to translate very well into the rest of their life where they need to be taking their time and being patient. So that's one thing. The other thing is, you know, the the kind of language that's used, how people talk to each other in the show, how they relate to each other, stereotypes, which still exist in a lot of children's media. There's, what else? Oh, how linked it is to products. 
right? So is there a whole consumer portion of the show? For example, if your kids watch, I don't know, like Pokemon shows, well, you know, it's not going to be long before they're asking you to buy the stuffed animals and the t-shirts and the cards and the games and the, right? As opposed to if right, they're watching right. a show that's maybe on PBS and is fun and exciting and all this, but it doesn't have an entire marketing arm that it's trying to sell, right? And so those are some of the things that I think make a difference. And then, of course, you know, is the show age appropriate is also a question that I think people need to consider when they're putting their kids in front of a show because kids mimic, you know, what they see. But like I've, you know, I've, my kids have watched certain shows that are very popular. Maybe they're on like Cartoon Network or Nickelodeon. And I'm just like watching these characters and they're so snarky with each other, you know? And (laughs) it's like, that's the humor of the show. But a kid, you know, what do they have to compare to? So then they go around and they start talking to their friends that way and they're being snarky. And so it's a little bit about like, well, what are the values in this show? You know, it's not like everything needs to be like perfect and, and, you know, goody two shoes, but like ultimately, is there some value to my kid watching this show or is it really just, you know, a means to get them to, you know, hooked or to want to buy a product? Yes. Uh, I resonating so much with what you're saying. I think that that really allows potentially, you know, parents, families who are tuning in today to have that opportunity to really figure out, okay, how can I at least get a grasp on what kind of media my children may be consuming. I know that you do a lot of work with schools, community organizations, nonprofit companies as well. When it comes to all of these type of things regarding, okay, what media to expose children to? I'm wondering, based off these various workshops and coachings that you've done, what tips for digital wellness seem to resonate the most with parents and children? Mm, that's a good question. Well, before I get to that, or maybe this is part of it, I'm not sure, but I was just thinking about it based on what we just spoke about. I think that's something that I recommend to parents and that's really important, especially when your kids are younger, is co-viewing. Because when you watch with a child, you can then have conversation about what you watched. You can ask questions about it. And for me, one of the things that I really, really believe is like one of the most important pillars for raising this generation of kids is that they be media literate. So they need to be able to understand all the messaging behind this like bombardment of media that's coming at them. And where is it coming from? Who's producing this? What's the intent behind this? Are they trying to, you know, convince me of something? All of these questions. And the way that kids learn to be media literate is to ask questions and to have conversation. And a really good way to start your kids on that is to watch with them. And Because you may see something that they're too little to see, but when you ask a question about it, 
it'll spark something in them. And another place where you can do that really well and actually have fun with it is when commercials come on. And I know a lot of people don't even watch commercials anymore, but there's some value in watching commercials with your kids sometimes because you can really, really teach them about marketing and about imagery and about, you know, media messaging and how powerful it can be. You know, whenever we're watching, let's say, like a sports game or something, that's usually when we end up watching commercials at our house. And let's say, you know, a commercial comes on and it's really funny and it's for, you know, a food. It's usually like a pizza or a burger, like some disgusting thing. And my kids often will be like, oh, I want pizza now, you know? And so I'll stop yeah. and I'll yeah. say, oh my gosh, that commercial really worked on you. What do you think it was? That's it. That's all I need to say, right? What do you think did it? And then, then they're thinking about it. Oh, well, it was so funny. And also like the way the cheese would look so gooey and like steamy, you know? So now all of a yeah. sudden they're analyzing and they're like picking it apart and then connecting that to their reaction to the media and that's super super important in terms of other stuff that really resonates for parents you know i think a lot of parents come to me just really really concerned by the grip that the technology has on their kids and it disturbs them that it, it has a stronger grip than any other interest. And so for me, you know, I have sort of dual purpose there. One is to help the parents understand that A, you know, kids didn't ask to be brought into this particular moment in history. You know, right, they just, absolutely. they were thrown into the wolves basically. B, their prefrontal cortex is not developed at all um, to the point where they can make really good executive decisions and walk away from stuff and, you know, plan their time well around this stuff. And so they're kind of, they are no match. So I try to give parents this perspective so that they can have a little bit of empathy when approaching the issue with their kids, because it's very easy to get as a parent agitated and anxious about it and then you turn that on your child you know you get angry at them and you know and I've done it as well but really what needs to happen is you need to be side by side with your child and be an ally to your child and that's one of my main messages takeaways for parents and kind of for kids too in a way is like you know you guys should really be working together here you don't need to be the enemy like you know your job is as a parent is going to be to guide to mentor to protect but you're not going to you know make this disappear and you're the more that you try to block it the more that you try to restrict it the more they're going to just go around you you know once a kid gets to a certain age you're you're much better off having conversations, talking about it, setting appropriate limits, but engaging your kid in the conversation because as we all know, you know, tweens and teens are going to find a way to do what they want to do. So better, <laughs> right. better you be there, you know, than have them just be sneaking around behind your back. I don't know if that answered your question entirely. No, yeah, ab absolutely. I think from from what I'm picking up from what you're saying is that 
It's all about having an open dialogue and conversation between parents and children. Yes. And and having an educational sort of environment in there. It's not necessarily a finger wagging, oh, don't do this, you can't do that sort of thing. But it's more so, okay, look at how this media is affecting you and why do you think that's happening? Exactly. Just, you know, observing, questioning. I always tell parents, like, just get curious. You know, it, it's, it's very helpful to get curious about your kids' media use because that leads to asking real questions and not questions that come just from judgment or shaming or fear, but just like, oh, why do you like this? You know, tell me about it. What does it bother you that it does X, Y, Z, or that doesn't bother you at all? Or, you know, what is it about this that's like so exciting for you? And then trying to understand, and then they might say back to you, you know, why do you think I shouldn't be doing, that's what my kid would say, why do you think I shouldn't be doing this? And I'd say, I don't know. I don't know if you should be doing this or not. I'm, I'm curious about it. Here's where my concerns are, you know? And so I'm trying to teach them how to ask these questions, how to be curious themselves, and how to not just take something just at face value as a given, you know, and, and to really look a little bit behind the curtain. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, exactly from what you're saying, it's these type of conversations that I think in the long run, in the long term, could really make a huge impact on the family. And I guess to kind of take a step back out outside of the family, talking about a community of sense, whether it's in your neighborhood, maybe your extended family at, at school or at work, whatever, wherever it may be. I'm wondering if you could speak to why this is important information to know, why it's important to educate ourselves on the impact that technology and media has on us in the greater scheme of our community. Why is it good to know this stuff in the general well-being of the community that we're living in? Mm, that's a really good question. I mean... The first thing, I guess, that comes to mind for me is the ways in which media can end up being a platform that is divisive or a platform that can, you know, hurt people, a place where, you know, people can feel like they're missing out, people can feel like they're not included on the thing. And then on the flip side, when used properly, it can be a place that can create so much inclusion, that can spread positive messaging, that can be educational. And so I think the more that people have an awareness of how media works and of the ways in which it can manipulate us both individually but also culturally, then we can make sort of smarter choices and have more agency in how to use it on a really large scale and on a small scale. And the more, I guess, I, I would hope that that would lead to more thought-based and compassionate decisions within either online communities or real-life communities when it comes to our relationships with technology and 
through technology. Yes, this actually leads me nicely to my next question. As you know, on this podcast on Relate, we talk a lot about the importance of cultivating deep and meaningful relationships in the age of technology where it could often be easy to divert to technology and not give those around us the face time that really fulfills our lives and nourishes us with happiness at a variety of levels. Mm -hmm. So given, given what you've just said, I'm wondering if you could share with us how you believe we as a society can better relate to one another. Oh my God. I mean, <laughs> where do I begin? <laughs> um, I mean, that's a huge question. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that the danger with, with a lot of this technology and with the social media, and with just spending more and more time in communities online or escaping uh, our real lives through whatever online distractions is that I think we get farther and farther from being in touch with ourselves and with our needs emotionally, with our needs physically, with our needs socially. And if we're not in touch with that part of ourselves or those parts of ourselves, then we don't know how to take the steps really to towards a more fulfilling life and towards a you know a healthy community and so i would hope that with the sort of humane tech movement and with you know more awareness around this that a lot of the conversation will also start to center around you know how do we maintain our sense of self and a sense of groundedness with all of this noise going on around us all the time. And that by doing so, I, I do think that our natural desire and our natural instinct as humans, as animals, is to connect with others. We're, you know, we're social animals. So, so when you quiet down and you listen, you realize that what you really want is to connect with somebody in person, in real life, and it can be someone you know well, or it can just be like a quick talk with your neighbor. But all of those things add up to healthier individuals, and then healthier individuals make for healthier communities. Yes, uh, that, I, I love that so much. I, I think that, it, it, I love how you mentioned too about the needing to work on ourselves and Th think about our, ourselves and, and kind of where we're at in this world. I think it's so easy for us as adults, and I think a lot of children encounter this as well, is that we spend so much time on our various devices, and that's where all of our attention is focused, and it sucks a lot of energy out of us as well, that we oftentimes don't look inwardly in into like, okay, is this actually good for me right now, what I'm doing? Yeah, and I agree. And I think that it gets like any habit, like the less you do it, the harder it feels, you know? And so the more we get sucked in and every single part of our day and our life is filtered through our media, it just gets harder and harder to quiet down and harder and harder to tune into our bodies. You know, I always tell people that like, 
once you get online or you get into your computer or your phone, you're kind of having an out-of-body experience. Like you're really disconnected yes. from your body and it's just like brains, like synapses going off, you know? And right. at a certain point, I think it's really important to reconnect with the breath, reconnect with the body, you know, reconnect with the environment around you in order to feel healthy. I absolutely agree with you there. <laughs> Julia, <laughs> I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to join us on the Relate podcast today and for not only taking the time to join us on the show, but I also really appreciate the work that you're doing. I could tell that you really take your life experience and infuse it into the work that you're doing to serve a variety of different parents and families and communities. And I really do believe that this work, while it's so important right now, is only going to continue to become more and more important as time progresses. So I have no doubts that our listeners tuning in today have learned a lot and hopefully are able to take some of the things that you were saying and implement it into their own lives with their families and their communities. So thank you so much again. Oh, thank you for having me, Patrick. It was really fun. Where can our listeners find out more information about you and all the great work you're doing? Yeah, so probably the easiest way is to just go to my website, which is reconnect-families.com. And that's where, you know, you'll find out more about me and all my offerings and all kinds of goodies on there. Perfect. Well, I'll make sure to include the link to that in our show notes. So listeners, all you have to do is scroll down. Click the link in the show notes. It will bring you right to Julia's website. There's a variety of different amazing resources on there as well that I highly recommend checking out. And I have no doubts it will prove to be very helpful for you, your family, and your community. So just head into the show notes. Julia, thank you so much again for joining us on the show. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Relate. You can let me know your thoughts on this episode by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving me a review. Or if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. You can support this podcast by clicking the link in the show notes. Thank you so much again for tuning in, and I'll catch you all in the next episode.